So first thing first, Ted, how are you? I am doing well. How about yourself? I'm not too bad. Not too bad at all. Um, Before we jump into the music, I'd like to go back to your kind of beginnings with Death Angel, because now I'm I'm not sure if this is correct, but I, I read somewhere that you... Uh, heard the first demo that the band ever put out. What was your initial impression? Good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it was like, what, 85, 86, maybe around there. I've heard The Killers one demo, and I was blown away, actually, you know. I mean, I've heard, you know, back then in the Bay Area, you just hear about a lot of bands either through word of mouth or, of course, you know, uh, Ron Quintana's KUSF. And, you know, just friends around the neighborhood and around the city just talking about, you know, Bay Area thrash bands. And I've heard a demo and uh, it was just insane, you know, great songs and whatnot. And also what kind of resonated to me is they were young, just like my age. Andy was the same age as me. We were young. And, of course, a common bond of Filipino descent. So that kind of made me go, all right, I'll, I'll check these guys out. Then from there, I've seen them on. Uh, every album, I saw them on Ultraviolence, Frolic, and Act 3. So then the band expanded. So. This this period of time uh, in the Bay Area, and I've, I've asked Rob this, I think, and I've uh, talked to Chuck Billy about this. But what what kind of, For somebody who's, who's lived in the Netherlands and has no kind of real conception of what that was like, what was, what was it like? What was it growing up around all that music? Oh, man, it was... Uh... I've always told people this. Um, I'm glad I lived it, but that time is never going to happen again. It was a it was a really special time. I mean, I could tell you from a fan's perspective. I know you talked to uh, Rob and Chuck, who were in the band, but me being as a fan, it was insane. I mean, you know, there was you could go to shows any day of the week, and it'd be crowded. You know, you see Exodus playing one night, the next night would be Death Angel, then Legacy, then everyone from the Bay Area would be at each other's shows and it was just growing and growing and even bands, local bands were packing the place, you know, trying to fight for a position to open up for Testament or Exodus, all these local bands. So it was a really good time. It was, you know, pre-internet, <laughs> you know, and it was cool because, you know, you go to, there was a record store called the Record Vault where they had all the imports, every, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone would hang out there everyone would bring their demos to sell there so it was like one spot where everyone went in san francisco the record vault and across the bridge in the east bay there was the record exchange so it was a really healthy scene but it was so new and i'm glad to be a part of it when it was creating and coming up it was awesome and i mean you guys Holland, the Netherlands, a big Bay Area thrash fans. If we have a lot of friends who love Bay Area thrash, who actually came here to see shows, and you know, we could say the same thing for Europe. You know, we love the new wave of British heavy metal, the the, the German thrash scene. I mean, Holland has its scene with what Gorefest and all the other bands that come out there. So it was. Uh, we're always curious about you guys, and you guys are always curious about us, and one big happy family right there. I, th- I think the biggest difference is the weather then. You had nice weather, we not so much. <laughs> yeah, but you have shawarma and we don't. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Around this time, uh, you say you were quite young. And I believe w- when the demo first came out, 85, you must have been a- around 13 or so. 
uh, around that yeah. age, what what were your aspirations? Did, did you always want to be in a band? Did you think when you saw these people play, well, that's I'm, I'm going to be that one day? Oh, totally, totally. I mean, I got into heavy music through an, an older sibling and, you know, just something about that energy. Then when it's Metallica started it all for me, mm. you know, then everything else trickled. You know, when I first heard Kill em All, I was like, this is it. This is the type of music that spoke to me because I had older sibling, older brother who was listening to bands like, you know, like Journey, Iron Maiden, Zeppelin and all that, which is all great bands. But Metallica started off for me because it seemed like it was my band. I discovered it myself and I didn't discover it through anybody else. So from there on, then it trickles. But yeah, that whole scene, I want to play that intense music. I want to be up there and play. It was, it was, it's, it's kind of hard to say it was just a calling. You know what I mean? Do, do you get the same uh, response? I, I don't know if response is the right word. Do you get the same feeling these days uh, still from the mu type of music that oh, you make? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the only difference is we're just, I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go into the pit and go crazy. And, but I will be in the crowd and enjoy a really good show nowadays before when I was young. The first thing you do is as soon as the band goes in, go in the pit, go ride the crowd, stage dive. Now it's more like I want to absorb the music and absorb the show and the presentation and the musicianship and just, you know, you know, I'll headbang, but I'm not going into the pit. But, you know, I still feel the same way about it as I did when I was young, but just I react differently. Right. And then I suppose it is different when once you're the one on stage, right? Because then you have less time to be kind of in the crowd as well. And and also you might look at the music differently. Has that happened for you where you're you're almost watching other musicians play as a professional? You kind of try to figure out what they're doing? All the time. All the time. I always like, I like to, you know, see what they're doing. Like, especially if I'm a big fan, I like to, when a song comes on, uh, like, I'll just throw out a band, uh, Creator. Mm. Creator, when when they play Riot of Violence, I want to see what riff that is, you know, like, because I remember being a kid listening to the album, now I'm seeing it, and I'm like, I want to know what riff, what are they playing, and what is Ventor doing on the drums and when he's singing? So I still get fanboy, of course, of course. I, once you lose the fanboy, you should just stop. You know, especially in in your story, then because you started out as a fan, then the band, as you mentioned, disbanded, uh, didn't really play in the 90s, and then they uh did a concert, uh, I think it was a charity for Chuck Billy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Thrash of the Titans. When they asked you, well, what What went through your mind? Was this kind of like a eureka moment or were you already established as a musician enough that you felt like, okay, okay this is. Well, at the time I was playing in local bands, you know, I, I had a local band at the time called Sift, just some friends. We played locally. And during that time, our band was playing with Swarm, which is Rob, Mark and Andy. We play a lot together in the local scene. And, um, When Thrash of the Titans came around, I, I remember seeing the flyer. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a really good show. Benefit for Chuck. He saw all these bands like Violence, Exodus, Heathen, all these names started popping up. And um, then one time I saw the new flyer and had Death Angel. And I was excited. I was like, whoa, these guys are getting back together. That's insane. 
And I remember Rob calling me. I was at work at the time. I worked in corporate America. And Rob called me and he told me about, hey, man, we're getting together for this Thrasher the Titans benefit for Chuck. And I told Rob, yeah, I heard about it. If you need any help, you know, with some gear, do you need help with your guitars? You know, I'd love to help you out just so I could see the show. Then Rob asked me, well, actually, I was going to ask you if you wanted to play because we got a hold of Gus, the original play guitar player and he was in the philippines at the time and he was not into he wasn't interested in playing in death angel no more but he gave his blessing so that day i was excited i told rob yeah i'll do it not knowing what i'm getting myself into <laughs> and i remember calling my wife and she goes yeah that's exciting that same day i met up with rob and mark at the rehearsal room and we were going through the songs together because because before Thrash of the Titans, Swarm was going on a two-month tour with Jerry Cantrell, and we had no time to rehearse. So he, I got together with those guys. They showed me the songs, and I was just rehearsing at home every day until showtime. <laughs> but that's what I was going to ask, because being a fan and being a guitarist, did you already know kind of how to play a lot of those songs? And did oh, you yeah. kind of... Yeah, there was one time when we got together that night I got together with Rob and Mark and we were going over the songs and Rob forgot a certain song, a riff or two. I go, no, dude, this is how it goes. And he remembered, oh, there was some things I had to show Rob. Like, oh, it's this riff and this riff. And Rob goes, oh, it's been a while. But yeah, I knew those songs. I used to play them in my bedroom and play them with some friends just for the fun of it. But I knew songs from the ultraviolence for sure. And then, and then the final question about kind of this, this, this uh, looking back, what, what was the feeling once you were on stage and kind of uh, with a band that you admired growing up and then now all of a sudden you were playing with them in front of a huge crowd? What was that like? Scared. Scared okay. because you're, you know, put it this way. We only rehearsed two times before that show, you know, because there was no time for everyone to get together. But those guys, it's in their blood. They knew it. After they played a few times, it's just it's just like riding a bike. I had only two rehearsals with these guys. I'm like, I just hope I don't mess up. It's the big return of Death Angel, the band with the longest hiatus, and the band that confirmed the last. They were the last band to confirm, and we were like, okay. It's like, for them, it's like, let's just go up there and play these songs. I'm like, my wife, I'm new to this one. You know what I mean, you guys know these songs but it was um terrifying it was scared but after like the first song it all went away all went away and 20 years later here i am talking to you <laughs> exactly and, and that's i think the a very awesome story about music in in general but but the way your band uh death angel did it it's like you mentioned, it's, it, there was a 10-year uh, hiatus. Not a lot of bands come back from that. But then not only do you come back, but you release even more uh, afterwards than before. And, and even most, most recently, arguably the biggest success, you're nominated for a Grammy. So in your own, from your own perspective, what does that tell you about what you guys are doing? Wow, that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, it goes to show that we still love to play, you know, with the good thing, like you mentioned, the 10-year hiatus, even though they weren't doing Death Angel, they were still playing music. You know, they the organization being one of them, you know, they had all these other outlets of music that they needed to get out. You know, rock and roll, punk rock, acoustic, 
things that didn't fit the death angel mold, but they still had a lot of music to offer. So it's more like getting it out of their system. So when it's time to do death angel, all that has been cleansed and it's like a fresh, like a recharge, like, all right, I think we're ready to do death angel again. So it's like starting over again. It wasn't like you're burning yourself out. You know, you took a break. Let's, you know, it's how oh, I'm not, Here's an analogy. I could be wrong. It's like you're with a girlfriend for like 10 years. Then you go, oh, break up for a bit. And you go date other people. Then you realize you're older now. You matured. You come back. You go, hey, you did what you had to do. I had to do what I had to do. We still get along. Let's try to make some music together. And boom. You know what I mean? Right. And one thing I wonder, and I'm not sure if this is this is correct, but you saw the bands or, or some of the bands kind of blow up uh, in that early 80s, 90s period. And you kind of, kind of as a band kind of skipped that because you weren't playing. But then once you were together, as you mentioned, you're a little bit older. There was perhaps less um, influence from third parties because of uh, uh, making millions or whatever the case may yeah. be. So did that help? Did that kind of keep the band, even though there have been uh, different members, did that keep the band closer together, that there, that kind of making money or success wasn't the only thing on your mind? Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast Audio Branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. A combination of all, of course, we, we want to be successful in our own way. But I think the root of it is the love of playing music that kept it together. You know, we have through our ups and downs, but if the the root of it all, the heart is you still want to do it, then that's what keeps you going. Some people lose it. Some people don't. But, you know, we've had some member changes. It was hard, but, you know, we stuck together and this is all we need. This is all we know. This is all we want to do. And when you have that um, feeling, you just do whatever you can to keep going. And it shows in the music too. You get all this frustration and anger and, you know, sometimes disappointment and you just channel all that through the music. And, you know, I think the music that we're putting out now is, you know, it's good. It's great. You know, I it's, it's just different from the eighties. People like to compare. I just think it's a chapter in time, you know, mm. But this mentality, I suppose, was very, very well captured in the title "The Dream Calls for Blood." Right? This is—it's kind of you know that it's going to be hard work. It's—it's you're going to have to suffer a little bit if you want to do what you what you want to do. I mean, yeah, and that we are still suffering. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, you could say that for any job, for any industry, sure. for any a career. You know, is you find something you want to do, it's not going to be pretty. It's, you know, you can have your ups and downs, you're going to have good times and bad times, but you know, if, if your heart's into it, then you just keep going. You just, uh, a good saying I heard the other day, you'll get more riches doing it for passion than doing it for money. Hmm. So. Yeah, I, I very much agree with, uh, with that. 
Now, moving towards uh, the live album that you're releasing, because it's it's pretty much uh, a recording of, of a live stream you did uh, last mm -hmm. uh, this year uh, in May. Have you I heard think. it? Have you heard I it? Have, yes. I okay. Have. Good. Well, one thing I, first before we get into the music that I, that I noticed was there were no, no songs from The Art of Dying and no songs from Ultraviolence. Why not? Wow. That's a good question. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've um, when we decided to do this live stream, I'll, I'll tell you the whole story. Mm. We did a, we did our annual Christmas show live stream in 2020. We usually have it in San Francisco to a crowd, but since the pandemic, we did it virtually, and that went well. Then come the new year in January, you know, we were talking to agents and whatnot, and there was no touring in the foreseeable future, so. There was no other option but to do, you know, let's do another live stream, but let's do something different than the Christmas show, than just going up there and playing songs and whatnot. So we, you know, the idea came up of doing bastard tracks, songs that never got played, songs that we rarely played, and, you know, songs that need, never get attention. So everyone gave their list of songs you know, this is what we want to play. This is cool. This and that. And Rob's really good at putting a set list. And, you know, like you mentioned, there's no art of dying and there's no ultraviolence. We've played every single song from the ultraviolence, you know, in our career, you know, that's something we could always come back to, but it was really, really hard to pick songs. It was originally going to be two nights, two nights of bastard tracks, but you know, with the way the world is nowadays, we're all, older it's hard for us to get together every now and then it's not like we're young we could get together five days a week it's not happening it's not happening we try to get together once a week but we picked the songs we felt those are the, the songs we wanted to do and we did it you know i mean i love the art of dying i wanted to do stuff like um no or you know word to the wise but you know there's only a certain amount of time but i think the songs that we picked were good ones on the top of your list, um, was Alive and Screaming on the top of your uh, list? No, I it was not on the top of my list. I think it was the top of uh, Robin Marks. Okay. I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to do Resurrection Machine from Killing Season. I wanted to do The Noose. I wanted to do. I'm glad I, I really, um, I voted for Volcanic. You know, that's one of those, Rob, I push Rob, come on, man. <laughs> I love that song. Fans love it. Let's do it. We never did it. And of course, Faded Remains, which is off the uh, Under Pressure uh, EP. And um, a couple of songs of Frolic Through the Park. I voted for Guilty of Innocence. I said, yes. And Rob picked Why You Do This. So it was, I mean, we had a whole bunch of songs. It was hard, you know, it was hard to pick. What were you looking for? Because I can... Uh... There must have been a reason. Maybe there wasn't a real reason, but there must have been a reason why some of these songs weren't played uh, too much live. So, so were they either difficult to to uh, to do justice live, or what was the reason? And and this time to pick those songs, um, a lot, uh, quite a few reasons. Fans, you know, we would get, you know, when we talk to fans, either in person or social media. Why don't you play this? Why don't you play that? And um, you know, we never get a chance to do it on tour because you're, when you're supporting a band, you only get a limited amount of time and you want to play the ones that people know. The Dream Calls for Blood, you know, 
uh, voracious souls, you know, the hits, so to say. And, you know, we never have time to throw in some of these like guilty of innocence or why you do this, that. And, you know, when we're headlining, we're always trying to push the newer material. What, you know, we play these songs, they go, oh, when you try to insert it into your set list that you're playing on tour, sometimes it just doesn't flow. It doesn't feel right. It's just like, uh, it just breaks up the, the vibe. You know, sometimes you're like, you have a 45 minute set and you want to just hit everyone with it and you can't throw an acoustic song in there. <laughs> sure. So that's one of uh, some reasons. Some other reasons is just, we forgot about it. It's just there. Sometimes it's just good on record than it is live, you know, and, you know, inspiration as well. You know, like I, like we said earlier, uh, I brought up Metallica. Metallica's one, you know, there was inspiration where they could pretty much play any song after discography. And I like the fact that they switch it up. And that was an idea. Like, let's just try something different for once instead of playing like, kind of like the same songs since we may not be able to do this live let's just do it on the stream and just release it and you know who knows we might play it live or we might do more bass tracks in the future it's just you know we wanted to try something different sure now is there one uh, song that you as a group kind of had to labor over to get it right Could you repeat that again, please? Was there one song that ended up on the record that you as a group had to labor over that was difficult to kind of get right? Oh, let me see. What was uh, the Frolic songs? Okay. okay. <laughs> that, um, if I could remember, the Frolic songs, Why You Do This was tricky. Guilty of Innocence was tricky. Um, how, how come? Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Why is specifically that album? Have you listened to the album? <laughs> Fair. I mean, I mean, there's, it's, it's a really, it's a cult album. I mean, when you listen to it and learning it, there's so many riffs, so many changes and, you know, and, you know, talking to Will about it, he's like trying to learn. Andy's a very unique drummer, incredible drummer, trying to learn that style of drumming. The production wasn't good and you're trying to figure it all out. And, you know, it's just, hard to hear the songs are great but when you when you finally get them then you realize wow there's so many riffs so many changes so many different you know where do we come in this and that so i think those were the hardest ones i could say uh for the band but then there was some tricky ones like um not tricky but more like it took a while because it's been a long time but excited like where they lay from relentless retribution Dan, wow, I'm trying to figure out the songs we play. The acoustic songs, because mm -hmm. we haven't done acoustic live. And this is the first time we've done it, but it was streamed. Right. Just, having to, just having to make sure we represent the song right. Because with this lineup, we haven't busted out any acoustic ever. So that was tricky. Just, you know, getting your ears used to hearing acoustic on stage as opposed to electric guitars pounding. Then you break it down and go, whoa. You could hear everything. We got to play this right. So those were challenging, but they were fun. And it was good for us. Yeah, and I suppose that's kind of what you did with the Under Pressure EP. So, um, mm -hmm. and then, well, I kind of wanted to talk about Faded Remains, which is uh, on Under Pressure. And it's like, but uh, first, 
you're talking about those songs. I have a, I have a guitar. I'm not very good, but I have both an acoustic and an electric, and it's quite different to play a song uh, on an electric and an acoustic. So, what kind of adjustment did you, as a guitarist, have to do? Because especially when you do those riffs and kind of things, it's very difficult to do on a on an acoustic. I would imagine. Oh yeah, it is. I mean, you know, with the acoustic, it's a totally different monster. You know, it's all you could hear everything, and it's not like. Um, you know, you have distortion, you have, you know, pounding drums. And, you know, when you're playing fast music, it's just, you could get away with a lot of things, <laughs> as you know. But with acoustic, everything is like stripped down. You know, it's just string and wood and vocals. So you, you got to make sure you got to play it right. In certain chords you do on electric, you got to translate it differently on acoustic so you could hear it. So... It's challenging, but, you know, Death Angel's known to do stuff like that. So, you know, we're known to do acoustic here and there. So we're, you know, I'm glad we did them. And uh, what I find interesting then uh, about Faded Remains in particular, as you mentioned, with, with these acoustic songs, you can hear the vocals very clearly. And then I like, I really like those lyrics. Uh, you as a uh, guitarist, I don't know how much... Uh, you listen to the lyrics of, of the band, but was there is there one song that ended up on the uh, bastard tracks that you that you really like the lyrics of that that you're really interested in the lyrics? Uh, you know, it's funny. It's the two acoustic songs, "Volcanic" okay. and "Faded Remains." You know, with those songs, and I mentioned this before. Um, when they record them, I've been there when they record some of the stuff, and I look at the lyrics, and I never ask Rob or Mark what they're about. I just kind of look at it and I could relate to it, you know, I, you know, cause it's a personal thing when they write lyrics, it's personal to them. So I don't like to pry. I just like to look at it and go, I think I know where you're coming from. I feel the same way. And that's it. And that's the good thing about music. You know, if you could relate to it and don't have to ask the person who wrote it, tell me what it means. Cause it's personal to them. Maybe they don't want to say anything. They just want to release it and for you to get your own interpretation. So the acoustic songs, I I, I I, mean, I listen to all the lyrics and I love them, but for some reason, Volcanic and Faded Remains is the one I go, because I, I love that softer side as much as the, the heavier, brutal, intense side. Well, you mentioned something interesting then, because I, I think even though you've, you've played uh, very fast and loud uh, over your careers, uh, from what I've gathered, you all have very, very broad ranges of influences. And then, I mean, uh, uh, David Bowie is a good example of something like that, tackling a song like that. So, so from your perspective, what, what is one influence that you might have that people might not expect from you? Me? Wow. Uh, there's so many. Um... Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers would be one of my favorites of all time. I love his songwriting. Very simple, very catchy, and it, it just feels good. Um, you know, we listen to, there's a lot of new artists I've been listening to. George Ezra from the UK. Um, of course, then you have your standards like uh, me and Rob are a huge Bruno Mars fan, you know. And lately, it's been on my my wife shuffle on her Spotify, uh, Billie Eilish. Okay. I like Billie Eilish a lot. Um, Adele, you can never go wrong with Adele. And, you know, I do have 
and as of lately, I've been listening to the whole discography of the Foo Fighters. I like that style of music, you know, because it's really poppy, but it has that heavy metal edge to it. You could hear it in the guitar tones, but, you know, there's, you know, very hooky choruses and hooky verses. And I like stuff like that a lot. And now you mentioned all these influences and obviously you have your own uh, musical identities as a band as individuals. Uh, have you started writing uh, for, for a new Death Angel album? There's ideas floating around. We just haven't got together to piece them. I mean, there's, there's skeletons, I would say. But, you know, hopefully we could get together and make some time to piece them together because, you know... I want to get some, we want to get some new music out there. You know, we, this pandemic gave us a long break and we, the good thing is we were able to kind of reconnect at home in a way, like, cause you know, you're always touring when you're constantly touring all the time and you come home, you're only home for three weeks and you go back out. So the good, the positive thing I took out of this pandemic is we get to stop for a bit, you know, be at home, do what we need to do, but now it's time to get to writing music, get to touring and, We've been home long enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, f- But, final question now. What, what yeah. is one thing that you did uh, being uh, stuck at home? Kind of what something you did just for yourself that had nothing to do with music? Oh, man. I've worked a lot uh, around my house. You know, I've done some home improvement stuff. Okay. You know, I, I'm one of those guys that when I stay home, I like to be home. I like to work around the house. You know, I like to I have a garden. I like to mow the lawn. I like to walk my dog. You know, I just like to do domestic stuff. Like, hey, you know, my wife works at home, so I like to make sure, okay, let me go get the cars taken care of, get the car washed, let me go grocery shopping, let me do this. It, I just like that domestic stuff. It's fun Is it for me. Because I've, I've, I've spoken uh, with a lot of musicians about this kind of stuff, and so, some, they kind of can't uh, ground themselves one, once they come off tour, and even buying a... A bottle of milk is weird to them going to the grocery store. Um, what has that for you been? Like you said, your life has so much been, or part of your life has so much been being on the road and being this touring musician. That's kind of part of your identity, at least. So when that was taken away, what was that like? At first, it was like, oh, what, what are we going to do? But you have to, you could either, you have to options you could either sit there and sulk and be mad and do nothing or like be depressed which a lot of people did excuse me they either start drinking or doing whatever or you could pivot and figure something out and you know i figured something out i need balance in my life i can't just be on the road and come back and go i need to be back on the road you know i need that balance so i could enjoy each part of my life. I could enjoy the domestic part when I'm not home. I look forward to it. And when I'm kind of almost tired of that, I want to go back on the road. And I think it's important for everyone to have some sort of balance because too much of a good thing could be bad, really bad. Fair enough. It sounds like you speak from experience, but uh... yeah, <laughs> I think, I think we all do, you know, hmm. we, we all have our struggles and, you know, our good points and high, high points and low points. We just got to learn from it and figure it out. Well, one last question then, and I think I already sure. kind of know, know the answer, but uh, what has, has kind of this whole two-year uh, weird situation made you realize about uh, what you want to do, what you, what you want to do with this music, what you want to do in life? 
Wow, that is a good question. I've thought about a lot of things because, like, as you know, the music landscape is always changing. You know, from buying vinyl to CDs, now it's streaming. A lot of people are doing things online, a lot of live streams. You know, so I've been trying to figure out what the band could do and myself too. I've done uh, live streams. I, d- I have my own podcast, mm. which I do on Saturdays. And I try to do that. And I'm just trying to learn from other people, you know, what are they doing in during this time and how could they survive in the music business as an individual and band? So I've been reaching out to people and it's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? How does this work? And just, you know, we're still trying to figure out because what I may do now or what the band does now may not be working a year later. <laughs> sure. Because the landscape is so much changing. Like you mentioned, you used to break it up into four parts, face culture. Now you just don't because podcast is just running three hours long. So you have to figure out ways. Okay. We can't do four parts. Let's just do one part. and You just figure it out as you go. You have to adapt a little bit. Exactly. All right. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. <laughs>